invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word as we come to our sermon text this morning from Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 18. Let us stand and let us hear the Word of God. Again, hear the Word of the Lord. Now there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. Behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me, that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks again that you have blessed us in every spiritual blessing through your Son, Jesus Christ. May God, we pray for these words that we have read, that you might apply them unto our hearts, and that you might give us more understanding. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. We can all, I think, imagine the difficulty that Ananias faced in this passage. We have all had particular people in our lives who have, as uh, we might say, rubbed us the wrong way. Either uh, they have harmed us in some way, or they have harmed someone we love. And we are asked, either in the context of conversion or in general life, to uh, let bygones be bygones. To not hold those things against them. And of course, uh, we being human beings, are not always very good at that. Even as much as we might try, we still kind of have that feeling in the back of our head. That memory that we have of how this person has wronged us or how this person has treated us poorly. Now again, Ananias is not merely dealing with a man who uh, spoke cross words to him or didn't take the trash out or, or did something in some kind of minor way. Again, Paul here has murdered the friends of Ananias. He has arrested men, women, and children. He has done so with the authority of those in charge. You can imagine what it must have been like 
for Ananias to have the Lord come to him in a vision and tell him to go and see Saul of Tarsus. You can hear in the words that he repeats uh, to the Lord here, but God, don't you know who this man is? And of course, the blessed truth of this passage is that yes, God knows who Saul of Tarsus is. For God Himself had appeared to Saul and had miraculously converted him in the previous portion of chapter 9. And as we think about that knowledge that God has of Saul of Tarsus and the reality of the change that has gone on in his life, it's a reminder to each and every one of us about the reality of how God sees us. Again, the world might look at us and, and think of us as we were in that former manner of life. You know, how we once had treated someone else, how, how we used to act, how we used to behave, what we used to believe was right and wrong. One of the blessings of this passage is that the, the, the comfort and the peace of the Christian life is that knowledge that our God knows us as those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. By those who from the foundation of the world have been set apart for the glory that awaits us in the heavenly places. Now of course in this passage we see that Ammonias is not like those of the world. While he might at first have this reticence, this, this, this question about Saul of Tarsus, once he learns that Saul is no longer the man who killed his friends, but was now one whom Jesus had died for, he does not hesitate but to go into the presence of Saul and to lay hands on him. One of the things that we are meant to learn from this passage, again, is how we are to treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. How we are to hear the Word of our God and the reminder that regardless of what they may have done in the past, we are to see them as Christ sees them, as God the Father sees them. No longer is this man who, who, who did damage to the bride of Christ, but now one who was the bride of Christ. And of course, this is a very difficult thing for us to do. It's very difficult for us to kind of put those things aside. For we are yet sinners. We are weak vessels. We are those who, who have the old man within us. But again, notice one of the things that takes place uh, in the midst of this passage. Again, notice what God says about Saul. What is Saul engaged in? What will Ananias find him doing in this passage? He is told that he will find Saul praying. Now why does God tell Ananias this? Why, why is it important that Paul is found in prayer. Well again, remember something we said last week about how we can tell the genuineness of Saul's conversion. You remember that we you noted that after he had been converted, he says, uh, the Lord says to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. 
it is hard for you to kick against the goad. So he, Saul of Tarsus, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And we had marked out that the obedience of Saul again shows us the fruit of his repentance, the fruit of his true faith. Now think for a moment uh, what exactly Saul is doing. Again, again, we're told he's praying. What do you think the prayers of, of Saul must have been like at this point in his life? Because remember, Saul hasn't forgotten what he used to do. Saul has not forgotten what he had done to Ananias and his friends. And you can, you, you can hear in the midst of this uh, kind of uh, you know, a, a word that is saying a lot more than merely that Saul is on his knees and has his head bowed. You can imagine what it must have been like to be this man who had been killing people you know, days earlier and now through the glory of God, through the power of His grace, was now a servant of the living God. You can hear in his prayers as he's thanking the Lord for the forgiveness of sin. How he's thanking the Lord for calling him out of that life, calling him out of that way, and bringing him into this new way. Where he is no longer the slave of sin, but the servant of Jesus Christ. Again, the weight that must have been lifted off Saul is almost unimaginable uh, to many of us. But of course, for some of us, and we look back at our former manner of life and we see the way that we lived and, and the way that we kicked against the goes. Again, that remembrance is pushing us again to look once more at the cross. To be reminded that God does not hold those things against us. That God is not like the world who never forgets. What does the psalmist say? That God has placed those things as far as uh, the, you know, in the depths of the sea. That God does not bring into remembrance uh, those things that we have done. But when God looks at us, He remembers what His Son has done. And He looks at us and He intercedes for us and He blesses us and He fills us full of His grace. And this is what Saul is receiving in this portion of God's Word. Not only is he engaged in this spiritual act of prayer, but he is going to receive confirmation from God through the church that he has been forgiven of sin. Again, that assurance of forgiveness is one of the most important things uh, that we can be reminded of in the Christian life. That that, that we ourselves, personally, as believers, have been forgiven of our sin. That we no longer have the wrath of God poured down upon us. And again, it's one of the ministries that we can give to one another. For again, we see our brother and our sister struggling in life. We, we, we see them, especially with that weight of sin upon their hearts. And what do we see again in the example of the Scriptures? And we see Ananias go to Saul. And we see him lay hands on him. And this is not some kind of mechanical act 
whereby uh, you know, he kind of uh, infuses the Holy Spirit into Saul. You know, as if you know, he was kind of shooting the Holy Spirit out of his fingers into the body of Saul. You know, there's no miracle, magical thing going on with the laying on of hands. But he's putting his hands upon Saul. And that mere act of putting hands on him must have meant the world to Saul. Because again, not only has he been received by uh, the Lord Jesus, but he's been received by the people of God. Again, these same people he had been persecuting have accepted him. Not as he was, but as he is. A believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. What's going on here is not some kind of apostolic benediction. It's not the laying on of hands that we see, for example, in 1 Timothy. And when Paul will lay hands on Timothy, and he tells them and reminds him that the presbytery laid hands on him, that's a different thing than what's going on here. That is a sign uh, that you have been set aside uh, for service in that particular office. That's why when we ordain deacons and ordain elders and ordain ministers, that we lay hands on them. It's a sign of being set apart. But again, that's not what's going on in this passage. This is a comforting act. This is a sign from God to Saul that he has been forgiven of his sin and that he has been accepted into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, that's one of the reasons why Saul is baptized in this passage. You know, we, we talk often about baptism and one of the things uh, that baptism is, it is a sign of one's acceptance into the kingdom of God. You know, whether we're baptizing a child or baptizing an adult, it represents that act. Again, baptism itself is not the bringing of someone into the kingdom. It's a sign that they are in the kingdom. It's a sealing act. Much in the same way that when we come to the Lord's table, we're not eating the body and blood of the Lord, right? We're not taking in His flesh and drinking His blood. But we are, uh, through this act, again, sealing that faith, recognizing the reality that we believe upon Jesus. And that's what's happening here in uh, this uh, baptism. One of the things we've mentioned before, again, is that you know, there's a difference between this water baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Of course, John the Baptist you know, kind of starts the Gospels by telling everybody that. Right? What, what, what was he doing? Right? He was baptizing with water, but who was going to come? Somebody whose who, who sandals I was unworthy to tie. And what was he going to baptize with? With fire. Right? He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Again, what we see with Saul, again, is these two acts. Again, he's baptized, he's set apart, he is is given the seal of the kingdom of God, but he also is receiving the Holy Spirit. Again, he is receiving uh, the uh, same kind of thing that we've seen already in the book of Acts. Again, what is this baptism of the Holy Spirit? Again, it's not faith, because Saul already has faith. He's already a true Christian. What we see happening here is Saul receiving the power of the sign gifts. The ability to speak in tongues, the ability to heal, the ability to cast out demons and to do those miraculous works. 
Now that's what is happening to Saul here as he is baptized with the Holy Spirit and as he's baptized with water. Again, it's important that we understand, again, these outward acts that are happening in this passage because if we don't, then we can make all kinds of trouble for ourselves and all kinds of trouble for the church. It's important, again, to remember something about these sign gifts that they were given for the apostolic age, for the early church. And once the Apostle John had passed, these sign gifts passed away with him. You know, we no longer speak in tongues. We no longer have that power to heal in the way that the apostles did. And we do not, again, have these sign gifts and again, the Apostle Paul himself will tell us in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 uh, that uh, these tongues will cease. But it's important to say something else about what he says there in 1 Corinthians 13. He says not, not only will the tongue cease, but there's a, a consequence here. There's a, a, a difference laid out. And the tongues will cease, but knowledge, again, will be present with God's people. And what is the knowledge that he has in mind there? Again, it's this understanding of the power of the gospel itself. Again, it's important to think about the nature of, uh, of Saul at this point in his life. Again, he has been gloriously converted. He has been made this new creature in, in Jesus Christ. And again, one of the images we're meant to see, again, this change that goes on in the life of Saul is the way in which these scales fell from his eyes. You know, in Sabbath school this morning, you know, we were talking about sometimes the Bible gives us images that are unmistakable. And the Bible gives us images that are unmistakable because sometimes we need to kind of have the two by four of the Holy Spirit pop us across the head. And, and, and we need to again see things for what they are. And so when these scales fall from the eyes of uh, Saul, again, what's that meant to illustrate? Again, it's meant to illustrate that he who was blind now sees. One who used to be spiritually blind, used to be spiritually dead, has not only physically been made alive uh, through the power of the gospel, but now he quite literally can see now. And again, this is one of the things that happens to us in our salvation. Again, that we are given uh, this right, this ability, this power to see things for as they really are. You remember something that Jesus says uh, quite often in the gospels. You know, let them who have ears, let them hear. Let them who have eyes, let them see. And what does Jesus mean there? Well, obviously the Pharisees have ears that work, right? They can hear Him. They have eyes that work. They can see everything that's happening. But what do they not have? And they have no understanding of what's taking place. And that's why they kill the Lord of glory. Because they are blinded to the truth. Blinded to the reality that's before him. Whereas Saul here in the mighty work of the gospel. Again has had his spiritual and physical eyes here opened. To see the glory that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so brothers and sisters as we again think about this passage. And we think about its application for today. 
And we, we've spoken already about the way in which we are to treat one another in Jesus Christ. That we look upon our brothers and sisters, what are we to think? Are we to remember uh, that time ten years ago that you know, they cut you off in traffic? Are we to remember that time uh, you know, 20 years ago uh, when they didn't like your dress or, or, or questioned your tie or, or, or anything like that? Again, is that how we are to look and to treat one another? Well, again, the Scriptures are clear in this respect. When we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are meant to see them as God Himself sees them. As redeemed sinners. As those who are no longer what they once were, but are who they are in Jesus Christ. And you think about this in the relations of the apostles, and you think about you know, how it must have, what it must have been like you know, for Matthew to be in the midst of all the other uh, disciples. And again, there, there's kind of a sense of that, of course, when Matthew is called. Matthew not only was a tax collector, uh, but he was a Jew who was a tax collector. I mean, it's one thing to be a tax collector, that's probably enough, but to be a Jew who's a tax collector is kind of a double whammy. Because you're taking money from your brothers and sisters in the flesh, giving it to the Roman uh, people who are uh, there in your land. You're not only a traitor to the state, but you're a traitor to your family. Yet what do we see? We see Matthew again received into the company of the apostles. Again, they do not hold these things against him. That's something Paul talks about, about himself. Again, he did these things in ignorance. And of course, ignorance is not meant there as kind of that as an excuse. But he did it as one who was spiritually blind. He did it as one who was outside of the covenant, outside of the knowledge of God. And again, the witness here of Ananias and the way he treats Saul, again, is, is one of wisdom. You know, he asked God, say, hey, I've heard these things about Saul. And of course, are these things wrong? Is Ananias uh, passing along gossip? You know, is he passing along kind of a, a, a tall tale that has worked its way around? No, he's telling the truth, right? Saul has done these things. But again, God, in responding to him, says in verse 15, But the Lord said to me, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine. And those are some of the most important words in the whole Scriptures when we think about who we are. That we belong, body and soul, to our Savior. That we all are chosen vessels of the Lord. And again, this is vital in our relations to one another. That we understand that each one of us is a chosen vessel in the Lord. That each one of us, um, while we might not be the apostles of the Gentiles, each one of us is called to a particular service in the church. Again, you can hear an echo here of Paul's conversation with the church at Corinth. Remember, the church of Corinth was rife with division. You know, some followed Apollos, some followed Paul, some followed Jesus. Of course, we have that, that great vision there of the body, you know, of the hands and the feet and the mouth. You know, can the mouth do anything if the feet don't take it where it's supposed to go? You know, can the body eat if the hands not putting food in it? 
Well, again, none of these things are able to exist to thrive without each other. And that's one of the points, again, of this passage, is this reminder uh, that we have been called into this body of believers in Jesus Christ, not for ourselves, not for the benefit of our own persons, but because we are chosen vessels of the Lord. We've been called into this family to serve one another in Christ Jesus. Again, remembering uh, that we are no longer, again, not only who we are, uh, but that our identity is in Jesus Christ. And so brothers and sisters, as we close this morning and as we come to the table that God has provided uh, for us, again, we're coming to this table united in faith. Have you ever wondered why it is that we take the elements at the same time? It's not just, you know, good order, right? You know, it's one of the things my mom taught me is you never start eating first. You're always going to wait until other people start eating, right? Until everybody has their food, right? You don't just start shoveling food in your mouth and you sit at the table. You wait till everybody gets served. You know, that's not the primary reason why we take the elements together. We take the elements together because we are one body. We are one baptism. We are united together in Christ. And when we speak with one voice, and we eat with one mouth, and we drink with one mouth, again, we are testifying something to the world about how we understand ourselves. That we, again, have our identity in our Savior. Not in who we are, not what we were, and not what we do but in what Christ has done for us. So let us come now to this table. Let us be fed. Let us be refreshed. And let us be reminded of the goodness that God has shown to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious